All right, welcome to episode one of the Project 33 podcast. This is going to be a little bit of a different podcast than what you're probably used to. So we uh, at Project 33, we create a lot of content every month, videos about content marketing, B2B content, LinkedIn, personal branding, and all these different topics. And we post these videos on, on LinkedIn and on YouTube, but some people don't want to watch, you know, all kinds of separate videos on, on LinkedIn. So what this podcast is, is all of our insights and ideas from the month of August string together into one episode so that, you know, if you want to hear what we learned and what we talked about in the month of August, instead of having to watch a bunch of separate videos, you can just listen to one audio experience while you're driving, while you're commuting. Today, we're going to talk about how to deal with different opinions in marketing. We talk about different business problems you can solve using videos. We talk about why you should stop trying to create short videos. How does content increase your win rate? Why your audience is an asset? why it's usually the founder who does CNBC interviews and not the head of content. We talk about the simplest content strategy. And then lastly, we talk about the difference between creating content for a new business and for an already established business. So hope you enjoy this podcast. If you have any feedback, um, please let us know. And now, enjoy. Here's the first clip. Chapter one, how to deal with different opinions in marketing. In marketing, but I think this applies to many other things, but I think especially marketing. Here's one thing that we, we notice happens often. Two people have very different ideas of how something should be done in marketing. And usually it's kind of on the branding design side of things, right? We should use this color. No, we should use this color. This font is better. No, this font is better. The videos should be this format. No, I prefer this format, right? And it's just opinions clashing. And which ends up in a mess, right? Because if you have too many, in Germany we say, um, zu viele Köche verderben den Brei, which means too many cooks ruin the dish, right? I think there's a saying in English too, which says the same thing. You can't have too many people all given their, their input onto the same thing. So, and especially in marketing that is less kind of clear numbers driven as say, let's say development or coding, right? Because in coding, you can just, one person has this opinion and one person has this opinion cool, you run the code and you see what actually works, right? In marketing, these feedback loops are much longer, right? You can't just post one video on this color and one video on this color and then see the next day immediately. Oh yeah, clearly this color is, is working better. And I think there's two main things that you need to do to, to mitigate that. The first thing is that every decision needs an owner. It needs one person who is responsible for making that final decision. It can't be like a collaboration or committee decision, where it's not clear who actually makes the final decision here. You can have multiple people maybe giving input. You can multiple people be there for being a resource so that that person can go and ask them questions. But one person needs to be the owner of that task, of that decision. And if they make that decision, that's the decision. And then the second thing is you need a way to, over time, get closer to the truth of what is actually working better, what is actually the best practice. Because you have lots of opinions. Some people prefer it in this way. Some people prefer videos be cut in that way. Some people prefer these colors. Some people think that they just read an article that on Instagram you're supposed to use this and not that. And another person watched another video that said the opposite. So who's right? So you need a way to test hypotheses and validate best practices. 
And you don't do this by blindly just assuming and say, I read this thing, so let's do it that way. No, you try this format and you run it for a while and then you try this format and then you run it for a while, not just one day, not just one week, try it for a while so you get actual data, not just noise, and then you compare. And then as you establish these best practices, put trust into these. So as a new person comes in and you have your best practices and then the person says, but I like doing things differently. You can rely on these best practices and then you can run some side experiments from here but this is your kind of source of truth. This is the thing that you've validated and that's working for you. That's the most important thing. If you have something that's working for you, go with it, like stick with it. Like there's no reason to like suddenly change things up massively, right? So again, this whole thing applies to many things, but I think especially in marketing. And, and I think those are the two main ways to mitigate that. Chapter two, business problems we solve using videos. A lot of people create videos for marketing, right? That's the thing content marketing, video marketing, you create these content to put them on your social media and create awareness for your company. But I think there's a lot of other business problems that you can solve through videos. And I wanted to mention a couple of examples how we use videos for ourselves to solve business problems for Project 33 to, to give you some ideas. When we roll out a new feature, some something changed about offer, we make a video about it. When we need to hire someone and fill a position, we make a video about it. When an objection comes up on a sales call, we make a video addressing that objection and putting it in places where prospects can see that video. When we realize that something about our offer or our service isn't understood well, we make a video explaining it. When I get asked a question on LinkedIn, I make a video about it. When I realize I'm missing something for my Facebook ads that I started running a month ago, some angle, something that I want to present is missing. I make a video about it that I'm then going to use in those Facebook ads. If we decide we want to communicate something on our website that people should know about, then we create a video for it. When I get pushback on a cold email, I create a video addressing that pushback. When a customer gives us feedback on something that helped them make use of those videos, we make a video about it. When I look at our Google search console, that tells me what people Googled that made them end up on our website. And I see certain search terms. We make a video about that specific search term to build SEO for our website. So you can see that a lot of these things are marketing, right? Like you can say our website and, and our SEO, all of that is marketing. Sure, but it's not just pure content marketing. It's not just pure, we create videos to post them on LinkedIn. It serves a lot of different marketing needs, Facebook ads and SEO and blog and this and the website, but it also solves sales problems right? The objections that we get, the things that people bring up or give pushback on are our cold emails. We use videos to basically compress the sales cycle and shorten our sales cycle. We use videos for hiring, right? To make sure that we track the right people who fit into our company culture. When our offer isn't properly understood, which is a problem both for our prospects and for the general public who go to our website. We use videos to explain that nuance. So there's a lot of inefficiencies and things within the organization that aren't working so well that we actually leverage videos to address. And obviously I'm not saying that every company should do that. Many companies have different ways of solving that. But that's, for example, reason why I record new videos every two weeks. I could have just said, all right, here's like 10 videos that we want to create for the website done. And then we record these 10 videos and, and then we're, we're, we're done, right? But the reason why I come back every two weeks to record new videos, different videos, is because there's always something else. Besides just, oh, I want to populate my LinkedIn and post new videos on my LinkedIn. There's always something new that I want to address. Right now, we, we added some new subpages to our website. So I have some very specific videos 
that I'm gonna create for those subpages on the website. If I need to communicate something to the team, something that I wanna train them, show them, explain to them, I make a video about it. So we use videos to solve our marketing problems, right? Like the LinkedIn content and the YouTube content, but we use our videos to also solve our sales problems. We use videos to solve our HR hiring problems. We use videos to solve our operations problems. This is all to say video makes sense as a content marketing play, but there's many other ways how you can leverage videos and that's how we use videos. Chapter three, stop trying to create short videos. One mistake a lot of B2B companies make, and we see this very often, is wanting short videos for the sake of short videos. We often hear this thing where we talk with the marketing team and they say, we want every video to be shorter than two minutes. And then we ask why? And they're like, well, because attention spans are short. And so two minutes is the maximum. We want anything shorter. I think that's a problem. And I think that is a problem because the shorter the video is, the less you can communicate in a video, obviously. The less depth you can communicate. And so is it true that when you have a short video, more people will watch it till the end? Yes, of course, literally. I mean, there's no other way. So if you're only looking at likes and comments, you want short videos. The problem is if you only ever create short videos, you are never able to communicate real depth, real nuance, real complexity, real expertise. Because when you're in B2B, the product or the solution that you're selling is usually complex. And so sometimes it takes six minutes to explain something. And if you're always trying to be as short as possible, you will never have these videos that share the nuance and complexity of your product and how it works and how it benefits people and how it fits into the market and all of these things. And you skip on these things. So what I think is a much better goal than saying all videos should be shorter than X, whatever that might be, one minute, two minutes, three minutes, is the video or the piece of content should be as short as possible while still getting across everything you need to get across. There shouldn't be any rambling or repetition or giving unnecessary examples. But if it takes you six minutes to properly explain something, then it takes six minutes. And this goal of trying to create short videos for the sake of short videos is hurting a lot of B2B companies and is holding them back from creating content that is actually finally able to explain the nuance and complexity of what they're selling and what they're trying to communicate. Chapter four, how does content increase your win rate? So how does content increase your win rate? I think it's pretty straightforward. The win rate is just the amount of people who convert from a sales call to a close opportunity. There's different factors that play a role on how many people you convert, like product market fit, how good is the solution that you've built? What's your price point? You know, how well have you qualified the person who is on the call, right? Are they actually relevant and able to afford your solution? All of these things play a role, but let's say, let's assume all of these things work. You've qualified the person, they're able to afford your solution. You've validated your product. It works, your product market fit. Next thing that will affect the percentage of people close is the amount of trust that your salesperson or whoever's on the call with that prospect is able to build with that prospect. Can they demonstrate their expertise? Can they show and explain how your product works as best as possible? Do they show the right case studies? Do they have rapport with the person? I mean, that's a big factor. Does the prospect feel like they like the person? 
who's talking to them or do they feel like they're sleazy and an asshole and all of these things. And so if the person who's on the sales calls with the people puts out videos talking about what they're up to, what they're doing, their expertise, how the solution works, the features, you know, the pricing, all of these things, you front load a lot of these things. People can see their face, can see their expertise. They can validate before they hop on that first sales call with that person, that they trust that person and that they like that person. I often have this experience because we put out so much content and most of our clients come through our content, right? They see some of our videos on LinkedIn or something, and then they book a call on our website that I have a first call with a prospect that I've never met, never talked to, don't know, but they feel like they know me because they've seen my videos. They've seen our website. They've looked at Jay's video. They know what we do. They've looked at the team. They've saw that I've talked about content and content marketing and LinkedIn and videos and all of that. So the rapport of the first call is already much better because they usually already have something that they bring where they say, oh, I saw your video of you singing or I saw your video, you know, and they already have like a baseline trust in what we do because they're already familiar with our process and with our case studies. So there's, there's no convincing happening. I don't need to convince them that our process works. I don't need to convince them that we have case studies. I don't need to convince them that we've put thought and effort into our process because all of that was established before they hop on the first sales call. And that's why we have high win rates. We don't have a lot of leads, but the leads who come through and talk to us, they convert at a higher rate than, than other companies because they've seen me, they're familiar with me, they've seen my face, they've validated what we do. And so that's how you can leverage videos to increase your win rates. Chapter five, why your audience is an asset. Having an audience is an asset, right? Having subscribers on YouTube, people on your email newsletter list or people who follow you on LinkedIn, your audience, that's an asset, right? Because now if you have that, no matter whether it's 500 people or 500,000 people as a B2B company, you don't need a lot. You don't need to rely on press or the media to get the word out anymore. Back in the day, if you as a company had to communicate anything with the world, with investors, with your prospects. You had to rely on a middleman basically, right? Like the radio or the newspaper or Forbes or someone to like interview you because they had the distribution, right? They had the audience. The New York Times owned their audience. And then you could pay to get in on into the New York Times and, and tell the world about, you know, your new funding round or your new feature or your new product or your new adventure or your new whatever you wanted to communicate with the world because it's important for your strategy and as a company and so if you as a company own that audience you don't have to rely on that anymore you can publish and communicate those things you want to communicate with the world on your own terms trying to build up that asset and it takes time because it's a slow process and you want people to willingly say and raise their hand and say i want to follow you or i want to subscribe to your youtube channel or i want to subscribe to your email newsletter you know bot followers or an email list that you scraped somewhere that's not an asset that's a liability because you might ruin your reputation with those things people who say from their own terms i like what you're doing I think your content is adding value. It's entertaining or insightful. So I want to see more of it. I want to follow your journey. I want to see what you're up to and what you're going to do next. That's a real asset. Trying to figure out how to build that asset in a real genuine way, not the fake way, I think is going to on the long term be a massive upside because you don't have to rely on the media or the press or any uh, middleman to get the word out anymore. Chapter 6 why it's the founder who does the CNBC interview. 
if your company gets invited onto CNBC or CBS or I don't know, all these TV channels to give an interview, who do you send? Do you send your founder and CEO or do you send your head of content? And I think the answer is obvious. You're going to send your founder and CEO to give that interview on CNBC, not your head of content. Why? Because this is going to be watched by lots of people, maybe important people, maybe your investors, maybe your prospects, maybe your future customers, all of these things. And you want like the person who can talk with the most authority about the company and what you're doing and where you're headed and what you're up to. Two people. Now, later, after the CNBC interview is done, your head of content can now go ahead and figure out how to best use this interview, right? Like where to put it and how to distribute it and how to embed it on the website. And could we maybe cut it into multiple clips and post it on our company LinkedIn page and all of these things, right? That's where the strategic input of the head of content comes in. But the person in the content, in the interview, that's your founder CEO. That's the exact same reason why with our customers, it's the founder CEO or someone else on the leadership team, maybe the CMO, maybe the head of revenue, someone with authority is in the content. Because you want someone who can talk authoritatively about your company and what you're up to and your product and your customers and what you're going to do and the new features and how it all fits into the market from someone who is a real authority, a real thought leader, a real subject matter expert in their thing. People get that immediately when I talk about the CNBC interview. They're like, yeah, of course, we're not going to send our head of content to give the interview to CNBC, even though he's the head of content, right? And this is content. But when they think about their LinkedIn content and their YouTube content and who's going to be in the video that's going to go on the website, suddenly they forget this and they're like, no, this should be my head of content who should do this. That's what I hired them for. I have other things to do as the you know founder or CMO or something. I have you know more important things to do than be in a video. But it's the same thing. It's, it's more people might actually see this video that's on your website. More people might see this video that goes on your LinkedIn. That's hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people for, you know, a long period of time who are going to see this video. Same people, your investors, your prospects, your future customers. So the same thing can apply here. And so I wanted to just share this example because I think it creates this kind of shift in mentality. Chapter seven, the simplest content strategy. All right. I had a call with a friend yesterday who reached out because he's starting a coaching business he's going to coach people on things and he wants to start posting on LinkedIn to attract customers for this coaching business that he's starting. And he wanted to get my point of view on kind of what to post and how to post and what to talk about and all these things. And um, I wanted to reiterate that answer here because I think it's, it, it applies to many people, right? And so the simplest content strategy, in my opinion, is one, how often? Every day. And that's what I do. Monday through Friday, I post every single day. Two, what kind of content to post is combination of all of them. So I post a combination of videos, text, and images. And then three, what to talk about. And I think the simplest breakdown of how to think about this is to break down your topics and what you're going to talk about into three categories. And that's actually also how we do it with customers. 
First one is kind of expert content. That's the content that you want to be known for as an expert. You want to be known by people as someone who knows things about that specific thing. That's going to be your expert content. Second thing is company content. That is just anything general about you growing your business, your company, the lessons that you're learning, all of that things, updates on that. And the third thing is personal. That's just you, the person, anything you're interested in. So the expert content, what does it consist of? And again, there the simplest thing is just to answer all the questions that customers and prospects ask you. So whenever you have a customer, whatever questions they come to you for, hey, how should I do this? Hey, what do you think about this? Just write all of them down and answer each of them in a separate piece of content. And same for prospects. When you have a sales call or a discovery call, what do people want to know from you before they feel comfortable buying from you? How does this work? Why is your pricing this way? What have you done before? Why should I trust you? All these things, same thing, write them down and just answer them one by one in a piece of content. That's expert content. The second one, the company content is updates on your company, right? Oh, we just hired our first employee. Oh, I just, you know, got our first office space. Uh, oh, we just, you know, closed three extra customers and I'm super happy about this, right? And the lessons that you're learning. Oh, I, I learned that I used this software before. Now I use this software to, to do project management because I really like this software. Oh, I read this business book and it really helped me think about how I want to position myself. And here's what I learned from it, right? Like more company updates so that people that you can take people on that journey of you trying to build that business. And you can do that when you're one person and you're just starting out as a freelancer or coach. And you can do that when you're the founder, CEO of a 200 people company, right? Oh, we just raised a new funding round. Oh, we're opening offices in Asia now or whatever it is. And then the third thing is personal, right? So that is anything that is not expert content, what you want to be known for, nothing that relates to you growing your company, company updates, lessons that you're learning, but just you, the person. Here's a picture of me meditating in the morning because I really like meditating and here's why. Here's a video of me going on a hike in whatever, Croatia, because, you know, look at the beautiful sunset. Here's a photo of me in Brazil traveling and reading my favorite book. And this is the book that I'm reading, right? Just personal stuff because it gives people something to hang on to, something to relate with. You can still share lessons, right? I'm not saying just post a picture of your lunch and be like, this is what I had for lunch. You can still share your takeaways and lessons and thoughts and how you think about things and why you're going on hikes and why you're doing this and why you're playing the guitar and well, how you got started on this thing, right? You can still talk about these things. So those are the three buckets. How much of each of them? I think there's three kind of breakdowns that you can think about. Either 75% subject matter expertise, that's the expert content, and then 12% and 12% on the company and the personal each. Or that's one, 50% expert content, 25, 25 on the company and personal one, or 33, 33, 33, right? Just equal amounts of all of them. So if you're posting five times a week, whatever, two expert, two personal, and one company content, and then you mix it up. And that really just depends on kind of you, like what do you prefer, what feels right? And then two, especially in the beginning, when you're just starting out, you might not have a lot of these questions that make up your expert content because you 
don't have any customers or many customers yet, and you don't have many sales calls yet, then it makes sense to just put more focus onto the other two, because there you definitely have something to talk about. And then as you learn, you can, you can shift more towards that expert content. But I think that's just the simplest way. If you're a coach, if you're a freelancer, if you're a one man or one woman show, and you want to just start creating content on LinkedIn, post every single day, Monday through Friday, post a combination of video, text, and image, and then post about the topics, break them down into these three buckets. And then I talked about how to kind of break those down. And I think after that, you can go into more nuances and specifics and all of that, but that's a good way to start. Chapter eight, creating content, new business versus an established business. So the difference, if you want to start creating content for an early stage company, you just launched, you don't have any customers yet, or maybe just a handful versus creating content when you've been a business for a couple of years, you have a large customer base, you have a working product, all of that. There is a difference. And I think the difference is just in the first case, you need to make more guesses because you don't know yet. Like you don't know yet what exactly your customers need. You don't know yet exactly what your customers care about. You don't know yet what features about your product and service is appealing most to them. You don't really know yet what their most common objections are that they bring up on sales calls, just because you haven't had these interactions and conversations and sales calls yet. So you need to make some educated guesses of like, oh, I feel like people might be interested in this thing. Oh, I feel like people, the people that we're selling to would learn something from this. I feel like they would care about this thing. And then you talk about those things. For a later stage company where you already have lots of customers, you have lots of sales call under your buckle, uh, under your belt or whatever it's called, and you have all that information, you need to make fewer guesses because ideally you either already have some database of like these things, what they care about, what questions they usually have, what features they like most about your product, what objections they usually bring up on sales calls. Or if you don't have that literally in a database, you should have it in your head somewhere and you can bring it out on paper and then you can talk about these things. And that's the difference because in the first case, you need to work much more with iteration and with reporting, right? Because you're making educated guesses. They might be completely wrong. So the best thing is to just throw something against the wall and then look at your metrics look at you know how many views and likes and what's the engagement rate on all these different guesses that I made and then see, okay, which one did actually re resonate with people? Which one did people actually engage with? Which one did actually get a lot of views? And then you get somewhat of a picture of like, okay, I can move more into that direction and do more of that and do less of the things that didn't get any engagement. For the more established company, because you already have some of these like facts that you know about your customers, because they told you, not guesses, because they told you, you can trust that more because sometimes you might make an inside of funnel piece of content that's addressing a concern that people have really down the funnel. And so when you post it, it gets like a hundred views because it is such a specific nuanced question that only people who move down the funnel care about. And if you just look at the metrics, you might say, well, this is a bad video. It only got a hundred views and a couple of likes. We should not talk about these things anymore. 
when in reality, this is a really important video because you know that this question will come up if a customer just moves through the sales cycle, right? And so then it's more important to just trust that process and know that, okay, we know that this topic is important and that they care about this, regardless of, you know, how it resonates on an organic platform like LinkedIn, where most people aren't, you know, down the funnel of your sales process. So I think those are two, two slightly different approaches. You can combine both of them. Thank you for listening to this month's episode.